From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. Dreams were made and broken last week in Nashville as the NFL draft drew record crowds and provided shockers throughout the three-day extravaganza. For the Gators, all five players that declared early heard their names called, while none of the seniors had the same good fortune. On today's show, we'll recap the draft, preview senior weekend for softball, discuss a scary instant for baseball, look at men's tennis as they begin their NCAA journey, shed light on Al Horford's dominance in the NBA playoffs, and debate the greatest game shows of all time in the PAT with FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry. Plus, lacrosse star Sydney Precker reflects on an emotional senior day and the legacy her Yankee family has left in Gainesville. But first, the pundits try their best, but no one can fully predict all of the wild trades, twists, and turns of the draft. So once the dust settled, we began our roundtable with Scott and Chris by breaking down where the Gators landed. If you buy into the mock drafts, Adam, you, you saw those two guys. They shot up the charts basically during the season. And, and to be honest, you know, in retrospect, I was surprised mostly by Jawan Taylor. I, I don't think anybody really had him projected as high uh, as in the first half of the uh, first round when last season started. Uh, but, you know, all it takes is one guy. I, I remember Todd McShay, I think, was the first one in his mock draft to shoot him up and suddenly all the other mock drafts followed and um you know it's still i wasn't totally surprised that he fell but he was the third pick in the second round so he landed in a great spot in jacksonville yeah he was one of the stories of the first day of the draft because he was up in the nashville in the green room did not get selected you know you look back at it and jacksonville was a team that many of those mock drafts had taken him at number seven and then in the first few picks, there were, what, a couple of really uh, surprises with Pharrell going to the Raiders and then, you know, Duke quarterback Daniel Jones going to the Giants. And I think I think that messed up a lot of mock drafts, Adam. And from there, some players went higher or lower than expected. Jawan Taylor was one of those. But again, I think 35th overall pick. For Florida, it ended the streak of, what, six straight years with a uh, number one pick. So, you know, that's something that they missed out on. But I, I think, you know, in, in the final landing spot, he, he did pretty well in getting with Jacksonville. And then Ja'Kai Polite was one of the more intriguing stories of the draft season because, again, he was someone who had an excellent season with the Gators, 11 sacks, six forced fumbles, really a shot out of nowhere to become a potential first-round pick. And then combine shot him back down because he you know he admitted that he wasn't as prepared as he needed to be not only physically but I don't think he really understood what goes on at the combine in terms of how those players are scrutinized not just you know their 40 times but how they interview their backgrounds and isn't that the job of the agent to do that to make you realize that that's what's so confounding about this the way it happens sometimes that you would even put yourself in a position to be so unprepared. It's a life-changing moment for him. And mm-hmm. the five underclassmen who went into the draft for the Gators, those were the only five players picked. A little bit unusual in that regard that no no seniors were selected. And you can make a case that uh, Taylor 
certainly made a good decision. Polite, there, you know, you could scrutinize that. Chauncey Gardner-Johnson was someone who fell further than I expected going into fourth round. I think he, again, I think he landed in a good spot with the Saints, who are a pretty good organization and have a good coaching. And then both Sean Joseph and Jordan Scarlett later. So, you know, it's that debate you have every year. Should they have stayed or should they have gone? Uh, it's debatable for those guys. Uh, but at the end of the day, I mean, they're going to do what they feels best for them, what they need to do maybe for their families. We'll just watch and see how they how they pan out. And if they uh, do what they did at Florida, we will hear about those guys at the next level. I'll make a prediction that uh, Chauncey Gardner going in the fourth round, I think, is, is a steal for New Orleans. Because when you think about him, he just showed up in the, in big games. Mm-hmm. And I know he was scrutinized for inability to tackle and what have you. I did. I do think he got better. And the biggest wins for Florida, like he, he shed, I mean, he was MVP of two bowl games, one when he was a true freshman. So, you know, I, I say good for him. Uh, I think he landed in a good place. I, you know, I, I think he should have gone higher. I think he's a playmaker. But uh, uh, 105th pick, uh, I, you know, I definitely think that uh, he deserved to go higher. But that's a good place, like Scott said, for him. Good organization. And uh, I think he'll be an impact player there. I find it interesting, too, in terms of the way this sort of relates, in, in my mind, to National Signing Day for recruiting. Think about two of the seniors that did not get drafted for Florida, and Martez Ivy and CeCe Jefferson. And, you know, it's for different reasons they weren't drafted. But it, it just goes to show you people can make a lot of these rankings and what does McShay say and what does Kuyper say. But ultimately, you know, we have, in a lot of cases, very little idea of how players are actually going to pan out at whatever level that they're they're moving up to. It's also, and I think I've talked about this here before. I mean, like I said, when I covered the NFL, Rich McKay used to talk about it. I mean, you can be a great player. Do you fit? He said, always said, that was a phrase they used. It's about the fit. Players fit better in one organization than they, than they will in the other. And you can use New England as, the, as of course, the shining example. Uh, they, they can do wonders with different kind of players and because and the old Patriot way or whatever, or whatever you want to call it. But um, it spans uh, throughout the league. They're just places – that a guy is going to uh, put himself in a better position to succeed, whether it's how the organization is run, whether it's uh, um, depth at a certain position, a coach or something like that. They just, that's part of their charge is to find the best fit for a particular player. And Chelsea Gardner may go to uh, new Orleans and, and fit in there. Whereas if he had gone to the Houston, Texas, maybe that wasn't a, wasn't a good fit for him. I'm just used that haphazardly or what have you, but you don't know. And just like you mentioned, and we talked about them last week, we talked about Marta Vizzi and CC Jefferson. They're only two active uh, five-star players on the whole roster. They don't get drafted mm-hmm. and five underclassmen do. So, uh, I hope Martez. I, I hope they found uh, places for them to fit. What was it? CC's going to Seattle, and Martez... I think they both ended up uh, getting an undrafted invitation to Seattle. But it, it's going to be tough for them because they got an invitation uh, rookie minicamp, and then you know how they do there is going to determine if they get you know signed. So get on the back end of the of the meat market, and the the one of the ones you don't want to that aren't necessarily wanted is can be a powerful motivator if used the right way. Um, those guys haven't been in positions like that before because you think about it, and they're everybody wanted. Remember the uproar when CC Jefferson didn't sign right away with Florida, mm-hmm. and, and didn't he wait like two or three days till National Signing Day? And then when he came into the fold, it was a big deal. Uh, Martez Ivy was as good a recruit as Florida has signed in the last ten years, probably. And, and now that now they're fending for themselves, could be really good uh, success stories down the line. But you just never know. I mean, you, Heisman Trophy winners don't get drafted, uh, mm-hmm. uh, or can't or can't play quarterback in the NFL. So you just you just never really know about it. And again, a, a lot of it goes back to how well does that team fit with that organization. I think 
you know, the, the fans out there who really follow this stuff and who I think are, are smart about it, you know, understand that all the mock drafts and recruiting rankings, I mean, they're kind of, they're fun. They fill the internet space that needs to be filled 24-7. And I think, you know, when you look at high school rankings and these players coming into college, those are certainly based more on how impressive they were in high school as players. And I don't think they drilled down on all the facts, obviously, as closely as these, these NFL teams do. So these NFL teams, I mean, they like, like Chris said, they don't care if you're a five-star or one-star. They don't necessarily care, you know, what your stats were. They just want to see how you project. It's really become even more of, I think, of a scientific process nowadays than ever before because we live in a data-driven kind of society where there's so much information out there that they didn't have at their disposal, you know, 15 years ago or 10 years ago even. You know, you just never know. But all those guys who were in the draft for the Gators, if I say I was surprised by one, I was a little surprised that Martez didn't get drafted. I thought he might be a sixth or seventh rounder, but that tells me that they really scrutinized his. He was he was injured a lot at Florida, mm-hmm. and while he played through those injuries, I mean the the scouts, man, they don't like they don't like guys with a couple of knee surgeries. You mentioned the the data driven approach, and that has led us to a cool stat, which is that up until this weekend, thirty one teams had drafted a Gator. There was one holdout, but now we can say uh, the Gators have completed their entire bingo card. Yeah, uh, Adam Carolina selected uh, Jordan Scarlett, a uh, Florida running back. First time a Gator's ever been uh, selected by the Panthers. So you're right, it's all 32 teams now. Even Buffalo, they hadn't selected a Gator since 1978. Huh. A player that you probably probably have a poster, Scott Hutchinson, the <laughs> linebacker who I did not see him play, so I can't give a, an accurate scouting report on him. But that just shows you, you know, I think I saw something in the common draft era. The Gators are ranked in the, I know, in the top 10 of schools that have produced NFL draft picks. And I think that even goes up to like in the top four or five since like uh, the 1990s. So uh, that's nothing unusual. You just you have a stretch here and there where, Team doesn't take a player from Florida for whatever reason. But, yeah, Carolina came through, and now he'll go up there and put another Gator. I'm sure he's going to take some handoffs from a, a guy he knows, uh, or at least uh, he probably crossed past, Will Greer. Panthers also drafted. I'm trying to think what they played together. Jordan came in in 16 though, so Greer's final year was 15. But I'm sure they'll, they'll share some Gator stories. Mm-hmm. And there's always good storylines, too, because of the way that players move around these days. But – as noted a second ago, Will Greer is in Carolina. He will be backing up Cam Newton. So there's two Gators who started their career as Gators and did not finish their career as Gators. So there's always, over the course of the three days and 29 hours, whatever it is, of, uh, of coverage, you get a lot of those fun stories that emerge. Um, moving on to, to softball, uh, big weekend coming up for the Gators as they try and make that final push before the SEC tournament. And also, Senior Day that's going to honor two of not just the, the best Gators of all time, but really if you look at where they just got drafted professionally and some of the numbers they've put up, two of the best college softball players of all time and Kelly Barnhill and Amanda Lorenz. Kelly kind of stood out a little bit this past weekend going to Auburn. And how many does she have? I think it's te- her 10th career no-hitter. I mean, I lose count. I mean, when you start losing count on no-hitters like Nolan Ryan or something like that, but uh, she's the all-time strikeout leader. She's just been a, a, a great softball ambassador uh, for the University of Florida. Um, Amanda Lorenz 
She right now is on on the verge of maybe being the um, the all time uh, batting average uh, leader in in Florida softball history. She's hitting 417. She's kind of carried the team. She and Kendall Lindemann, uh, the transfer from Minnesota, they're the only two hitters hitting over uh, 300 for this team uh, among the regular rotations. And like I said, Amanda's at 417. Kendall's at 361. And uh, the next best hitter is at 287. So mm. that's kind of been the story for Florida this year is uh, hitting. As, it, as maybe it has been, we can, we can bring that up of the past few years, but the, the hitting woes certainly um, aren't to be uh, laid at the feet of Amanda Lorenz, who's been a great player, uh, been a great student athlete. And uh, between Kelly and Amanda, you have last year's uh, SEC softball player of the year and SEC pitcher of the year. And they're certainly in the, in the hunt for that again this year. So senior day coming up this week against Mississippi State, still some time for them to move around and improve their standing, so we'll be keeping our eyes on that. Moving over to baseball, uh, important series win this weekend for the Gators, Scott, but beyond that, uh, very, very good to see that Tommy Mace is not seriously, seriously hurt because he sustained a uh, pretty scary injury over the weekend. Yeah, in the Friday night game uh, you know, against Kentucky, it's a uh, Gators are leading 4-3. to three. It's in the uh, top of the fifth, and Brian Johnson's uh, at the plate with uh, you know, a tying run on base, and Tommy Mace, you know, you got a changeup, kind of left it over to plate, and, and Johnson hit it right back on a dart to the mound. And uh, it hit basically Tommy Mace. You know, at first it looked like right in the square in the face without any protection. And he immediately dropped to the ground. The ball ricocheted off his head all the way out to the outfield, which, you know, allowed the runner to score and tied the game. But obviously everyone's kind of just sitting there holding their breath. And, and amazingly, he gets up within seconds. But he starts walking and kind of crumbles back to the ground. And, and, you know, Kevin O'Sullivan and the trainer, John Michelini, they were racing out there immediately. And, and they tended to him to for a few minutes. And then he got up and walked off on his own. And, uh, you know, they did a lot of the standard examinations and stuff. And, you know, I watched the TV replay over and over pretty close. And amazingly, Tommy, after he got right just in that flash right before the ball got to him he kind of had turned his head a little bit to where instead of maybe hitting him in the temple it hit him right in the forehead and amazingly there was no cut or anything he had a big welt there but yeah just one of those incidents i mean you see the baseball occasionally adam um, i haven't seen it personally in quite a while but yeah everyone you know you just wondered how he was going to be but thankfully he was back at the ballpark the next day did an interview with the sec network and Hey, you know, he's going to undergo the standard concussion protocol. I don't know what his status yet is for Friday night up in Georgia. I just know that he, you know, as Kevin O'Sullivan said, they were lucky there. It could have been a lot worse. And uh, one of those things you don't want to see, but it happened. And Gators won that one, lost Saturday, won on Sunday, took the series against Kentucky, won they really had to have. It's going to be like this for the rest of the season, Adam. Every one of these series is going to be very important for Florida to at least win two out of three to try to climb right around that 500 mark in the SEC in the regular season, which most think would be good enough for them to get in the NCAA tournament. But we're, we're just going to have to wait and see. Also strange that they're going to Athens to play Georgia, who is currently in the top 10 while Florida is unranked. If you look at the last decade, probably, uh, it's been the reversal of that Florida is always the top 10 team and Georgia is the one scuffling. But uh, college sports do tend to be somewhat cyclical, and, and those cyclists hit even programs as uh, stacked as Florida is. So we'll see how that plays out over the weekend. Over to men's tennis, where uh, expectations are very, very high, Scott. They're beginning the NCAA tournament. They're the number four seed. Uh, they did not fare very well in the SEC tournament, which was held uh, at their own facility. So 
I think there's definitely some pressure on Brian Shelton's team, and you know we'll see how they handle it. Yeah, you know, it was a surprise uh, that Florida didn't advance at least to the finals of the SEC tournament. Got upset, and then uh, Mississippi State ended up winning the tournament. And now it's a chance to regroup. I mean, this is a team that had been on a two-month winning streak, basically, until losing in the uh, league tournament at home. But now they're back home, and the, in the opening rounds, they're going to have Florida Gulf Coast, Florida State, and UCF. Yeah, they were a, a team that after the loss in the SEC tournament, you felt that, you know, they just had to reboot. I don't think anyone was panicked or anything, but they were disappointed. And it's a team that's the number four overall seed in the NCAA tournament, but they have a lot of talent. They have the pieces, I think, to advance far. Now they're going to have to do it on the on the court. I mean, uh, it's going to be a, you know, whenever you face these other state schools in, a, in an opening round like this, I mean, this could make their season coming up to Gainesville and upsetting the Gators. That's obviously what Florida is going to play against. You want to see some of the guys who've done it all year, like the freshman of the year in the conference, uh, Sam Rafis. I think it would be important for him to bounce back after a couple of losses in the SEC tournament. Uh, Oliver Crawford, your number one singles player, you want him to go out there and do what he's done all year. And perhaps equally important is anything else you talked about, winning that doubles point. It's been kind of a thorn in their side all year, Adam, but they've won so much in singles that it hasn't come back to bite them much, but it did come back to get them in the SEC tournament. That's been a huge point of emphasis. Nothing new on the Gator basketball front, at least the current Gators, but there's former Gators that have a lot going on, including Al Horford, who, Chris, it really seems like he's coming into his own, and sometimes it takes a while to find the right team, the right fit, and, and get to your peak, but Al Horford now, uh, over 10 years in the league, seems to be maybe playing the best he ever has. He's kind of the, the quiet guy. I mean, when you think of when you think of Boston, you think of Kyrie and think of some other guys on the team. You don't necessarily think of Al Horford, but he's had staying power. He was a marquee free agent when he came out. That's why he got that money. But he hasn't he hasn't, I don't think, had that postseason moment. Now he's had some great plays and I mean they made it to the conference finals. They haven't been to the finals yet. He's never played on a team in the finals. He had one, I believe, in the conference finals in Atlanta. Is that right? Yes. I think that was against Cleveland and, and LeBron. This may be his best chance to do that because uh that Atlanta team probably wasn't beating that Cleveland <laughs> wasn't beating that Cleveland team with LeBron James. So uh again we talked about we mentioned uh Kelly, we mentioned uh Amanda Lorenz about ambassadors for softball. Obviously Al Horford is one of the faces of the franchise when it comes to uh Florida basketball. Um if you did a Mount Rushmore he'd probably be up there um as far as Gator basketball players and now he's been able to uh take that and carve out obviously a really, really find identity for himself uh in the in the national basketball association maybe maybe this is the season that he can punch his way through and uh and maybe at least play for a championship moving on to our pat i don't know if you guys are uh, are into game shows like i am uh or specifically jeopardy this guy james is on this incredible streak if you haven't seen it he's a professional sports gambler from vegas he's won i think 18 19 days in a row uh and he's made I think $1.5 million. The guy is unbelievable, and it's bringing a lot of attention to a show like Jeopardy, which got me thinking, for you, and this could be at any time through history, what is your favorite game show of all time? Or game shows, if there's a couple that you, you just can't pick between your, your favorites. Go ahead, Scott. This is going to tell me a lot about you. Well, you know, I'm probably like most people my generation. I grew up, and uh, there were three game shows that stood out the most. Uh, Price is Right, Jeopardy, and Wheel of Fortune. Mm -hmm. So, you know, here we are all these years later, and I still remember watching 
Price is Right with my grandmother during the summers back in the late 70s, early 80s. Those three are the ones that stick out to me, Adam. I probably have leaned toward uh, Jeopardy over the years because, uh, you know, I, I enjoy the show. I learn, I like uh, learning something once in a while and see how many of the questions I can get right, which, quite frankly, some nights aren't very many. But, yeah, and what, what the guy's doing is amazing so because I haven't really thought about Jeopardy a lot in recent years. And he's put it back on the map in some ways, at least in the internet age. And uh, so it's cool what he's doing. I, I wouldn't mind going on a game show and winning one and a half million dollars. I don't think it's as easy as, as he might make it look, though, Scott. I go back a little more. Obviously, I watch the shows. I'm, I'm old enough to know that the million-dollar pyramid was the $10,000 pyramid. So mm-hmm. uh, he needs people to roll out of bed and go to these game shows and win $10,000 nowadays. But um, Dick Clark was the, uh, I believe, was the first host of of the $10,000 pyramid. But my, my was, I go back to the, I remember sitting around watching the Hollywood squares. Hmm. Um, does this one that you even have ever heard of Adam? Yeah, I remember they did that. At, I think they brought it back in the early two thousands. It was uh, Whoopi Goldberg was the, the center square. I remember. Is that right? Whoopi Goldberg was the center square. Well, uh, the center square back in the day was a guy by the name of Paul Lynn and he was hilarious. And he was the first person um, to really, Give some answers. So you would ask them a question. They all knew the answer. The, all the, They're nine celebrities, obviously, in a tic-tac-toe board. They all had been told what they were going to be asked, and they all had bluffs, and they tried to bluff the, the male ex or the woman or whatever, whatever uh, whoever the contestants were. But they'd always uh, – they asked them a question, they'd have a joke, and they would be prepared with a joke. And Paul Lynn had the knifing uh, humor and really – double entendre kind of kind of took it a little too far sometimes with his with his dirty answers back then and um that was before saturday night live before all in the family and all that stuff back then but if you turned on a uh like nickelodeon now and saw some of those old shows whether it's bewitched or uh my three sons or uh, i i'm trying to i'm trying to think of some of those older shows back to the sitcoms and what have you those were the kind of stars laughing those were the kind of stars that would be on that show and uh and it was an entertaining show and um of course that one fed into of course it, i remember jeopardy my uncle was actually on jeopardy with really? art fleming the the original host yes yes oh, wow. he, he finished with zero money <laughs> when it was done because <laughs> he bet it all at the end and he lost <laughs> but I do remember sounds, watching. Sounds like his nephew would do that, probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm going with Hollywood Squares, Adam. So I, uh, let's let's hear yours. Your your favorite Jeopardy because you watch it every night. Well, no, I, so I, I do love Jeopardy, but I got to tell you guys, when I was growing up, way back in the day, it was all about who wants to be a millionaire. I mean, that that took over the monoculture in a way that only Game of Thrones does today. I just remember it was, and it was really good because it was a couple nights a week and then they overexposed it. They did it like every night and people got tired of Regis and it went downhill. But I remember when Who Wants to Be a Millionaire was a huge, huge deal. And, and around that time too, this is a good, uh, bring it full circle here, a good Gator story. So my girlfriend's cousin who went to University of Florida, she won $1.8 million on the show Duel, which was short-lived and led and hosted by uh, by Mike Greenberg. And she remains today the winningest female on a game show in American history. So Good grief. That brought it full wow. circle. How about that? I think it's only appropriate to end this with a, uh, with a Jeopardy clue. So the answer is you can get all of their content on FloridaGators.com and follow them on Twitter at GatorScott and at GatorsChris. And the question is, who are Scott Carter and Chris Harry? That is how we'll close the show. Thank you guys so much. We'll talk to you next week. All right. Thanks, Adam. See you, Adam. 
Gator Nation is already something of an unofficial family, but some members are a little closer. The Parekas are the de facto first family of Florida lacrosse, with the now-graduated Shayna followed immediately by current senior Sydney. On the heels of their ninth consecutive conference crown, we spoke to Sydney about family matters and more, beginning with that incredible streak of league championships. Honestly, winning never really gets old, but I just think for us, it's motivation to kind of keep that tradition going. And I think we've done a really good job of doing that. It's a confidence booster for sure. And I mean, this year it's definitely a little bit different because we did change our conference. So we didn't really know exactly what we were going to expect, but it's a really good feeling when we continuously win our conference. That's something a lot of people that don't follow lacrosse probably aren't aware of the fact that there is no SEC for lacrosse. And you guys have kind of been kind of vagabonds moving from conference to conference. What have been the biggest differences? You played in two of those conferences over your career. How has it been different? Um, It's definitely a little bit, um, I wouldn't say easy, but people expect us to be in the SEC, but they don't really understand that there are no teams in that region. So it's a little bit difficult because we do bounce around a little bit. But I mean, for us, it doesn't really matter what conference we're in. It's kind of just focusing on the opponent and the game ahead. So nine straight titles and obviously four in a row for you. What did it mean to do that on senior day as well, being the last time you'll probably play at at Disney Stadium? Yeah, senior day was very, very emotional for good reasons and for reasons of leaving and really potentially never being able to play on that home field again. And I think that winning our conference on senior day at home was really, really special and something that we'll all remember forever. I want to take things back for you a little bit. So let's go back to the start of your story. Uh, Can you tell us about your family and and where you grew up? So I am from Long Island, New York, and I have an older sister who graduated from UF last year and also played lacrosse. And I have a younger brother who's a freshman who is playing at Marist, also playing lacrosse. And both my parents grew up in the same town. My dad was a two-sport athlete in college. So Athletics is kind of our thing. (laughs) It it does sound like that. Um, Why lacrosse? Was was that the sport that your dad played or your parents went to, or did you just gravitate to it for different reasons? So it's a little bit of a different story. I mean, I'm sure you know the North is very, very popular with lacrosse, and especially in my town. I mean, everyone grows up playing lacrosse. I train girls all summer long, and I'm training girls from kindergarten up to high school. I mean, the ages differ so much, but everybody starts so young now. And even when I was growing up, lacrosse was the sport. But for myself, I was a competitive gymnast half of my life. and. That's all I wanted to do. I wasn't into other sports. I played soccer on the side, kind of just more for social reasons, because gymnastics, you really had no social life. Um, I was very competitive. I did two-a-days constantly. I was going in before school, after school practice, the whole nine yards. And then um, I honestly just got burnt out. It wasn't fun anymore. It was too much pressure at such a young age. I wasn't able to see my friends. I was coming late to school because of practice, leaving early, and it just became a lot. So I decided not to quit, but to take a break. And my dad suggested, if you take a break, why don't you try another sport? And I was completely against it. I didn't have any interest in anything else, but I tried lacrosse. This was in the winter, and I played one indoor winter game, and I fell in love, and I never went back to gymnastics after that. So for me, typically, I started late being in the end of sixth grade, which all my friends at the time started in first. But um, 
I started travel. My dad made me try out for Long Island Yellow Jackets, which is the top travel team mm-hmm. on Long Island. And I made the A team, which is the best team you could be on, like strictly for my speed. I had no stick skills. I really <laughs> didn't even know the game yet, but I made the team for my speed and my strength. And then that team really, really completely transformed me into a player. And since then, I've, I've learned a lot from my teammates and fell in love with the sport. Wow. So you mentioned yeah. Shayna and I guess running mm-hmm. somewhat parallel. She's only a year older. Was she yeah. already into lacrosse? Did you follow her into it or was she also a gymnast? So she was a competitive gymnast with me. We were we did everything together. We were hip to hip with all athletic things. But um, she actually quit a couple months before me. I tried to stick it out longer than she did, but she was kind of just done. So she started lacrosse right after she quit. So it just made sense if I was going to start another sport, I would just start lacrosse because she seemed to be loving it. I'm so curious at this stage, do either of you still have any of those core skills? Like, can you go out and do uh, some semblance of a floor routine or, or is it totally yeah. gone at this point? No. Yeah. I could still do stuff. It's definitely, <laughs> um, not like I used to, but, um, Shayna literally still remembers her floor routine. Wow. Did it have a gator chomp in it or not at that point, I guess. <laughs> not at that point. No. <laughs> you mentioned being hip to hip growing up with, with Shayna. Were you super competitive with each other or was it that you were kind of a, a united front against all comers who were going to challenge oh, you guys? God, no. No, (laughs) we did not get along whatsoever. And I think it was because we were constantly doing the same things and it was so competitive all the time. And mostly it was Shayna competitive with me because I think for her, she was the older sister. So she felt like she needed to be Mm -hmm. way higher up in skill level than me and this and that. And she was at the time, but we would always go head to head and um, really wasn't until college that we started getting close and like happy for each other and not that we weren't but we were more supportive and accepting of each other's um, success rather than in middle school a little bit of high school it was more jealousy and competitiveness which honestly helped us in the long run because we worked so much harder because of it we pushed each other for the better for sure and I mean, it's funny because she did not want me to commit to Florida. She didn't even want me playing lacrosse because she wanted her own independency, kind of do her own thing for once. Right. But of course, I followed in her footsteps (laughs) and um, she was not happy when I committed to Florida. But as soon as I got here after her first year, I mean, playing with your sister at the collegiate level at a top division one school is something so special and something that a lot of siblings don't get to experience. So we feel very blessed and grateful that we got that opportunity and we're nothing but supportive of each other now. And I just got drafted to the pros and we're actually on the same team for that. So we're super excited to do that together. Wow. The saga continues. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) So you mentioned her not wanting you to even come to Florida. How did, how did Florida get on the radar? Yeah, so Florida has only been around, I think this is our ninth or tenth season, which really is nothing. But um, I remember I was in sixth or seventh grade, and the final four was at Stony Brook, which is 10 minutes from my hometown. And Florida was in the final four. And I rarely, I really barely ever heard of Florida at this time. You know, it was the Marylands and the North Carolinas. At my age, all these kids dream of going to. Mm-hmm. And I remember seeing Florida in the final four and almost being shocked. I've never even heard of this team. They're so successful. They're already in the final four. And that was interesting to me because I'm the type of person that I don't really like to follow in like footsteps of people. And I felt like for me, Florida was a new program, a new beginning, a new chance to make history. 
And that definitely pushed me to get to Florida because it was so new and we had so much potential. And one of our teammates from home, Caroline Fitzgerald, committed there when it was still fairly new. So she kind of had an influence because she said how much she loved it. And we kind of just visited the school on a whim almost and fell in love. And there's more roots there as well. I know uh, Scott Carter did a really cool story on FloridaGators.com this weekend about the relationship between you and Lindsey Ronbeck and how far back yeah. that goes. So you're right. the number one, the number two player in the country coming out of high school and almost kind of a, wanted to create a super team, I guess, in Gainesville. Right. I think everybody who's come here does because of how much potential we have and how much success we can have being such a new program. And everybody kind of wants to make history and do things that Florida has never done before. So it's pretty cool. When you think about getting to school all the way back then, I know it seems like a long time ago now, I'm sure. What were the biggest adjustments for you on and off the field when you became a collegiate lacrosse player? The pace of the game. I mean, I was in shock how much quicker the college game was and how much more intense it was and just having so much more respect for these collegiate players because they really truly are the best of the best and you just feel super excited to be playing against these great competitors but it's also as a freshman coming in probably almost every freshman coming in is the best at their high school so you come in coming off a high of being the best and then reality that everybody's as good as you and you need to work twice as hard if you want to even be considered to play you know so I think that the pace of the game and how the game is played is a lot different than high school and it was a huge adjustment for me for sure and you came a long way to go to college obviously very far from home what was that transition like for you and how much easier was it because Shana was already there yeah, I was just going to say that. I mean, my sister being there was a game changer. I mean, I'm pretty, I love being home. I love my family. And I always knew I wanted to go far for college just to force myself to get out of my comfort zone. And I think Shayna being there already was kind of like the deciding factor that, okay, I can, I can go far away from home because I still have a piece of family with me all the time. So it was an adjustment. I mean, just Florida in general compared to New York is so, so different between the food, the driving, the way people <laughs> talk. I mean, I go into Starbucks and order a coffee and they they go right away. Oh, are you from, you're from New York, aren't you? Which is funny, <laughs> like my accent and compared right. to theirs. So it was definitely different. The culture is so different, but I mean, now I, I absolutely love it. Do they get your name right or is the accent too much for them to overcome? No, the name's good. The name's okay. good. <laughs> Got to keep it simple for them. Yeah. Uh, so in line with what you just talked about, this year is the first time you've been the only Pareka on the field. So how has right. that been different for you? So different. I mean, I started varsity in seventh grade. She was in eighth. So nine, nine or 10 years being on the field, literally right next to her on the field. Hmm. So we kind of just knew what each other were doing before it even happened. And we played to each other's strengths and we utilized each other along with the rest of our teammates, of course, but we had uh, definitely a different bond than others. Looking back on when you first got to UF, as you kind of bring things full circle, in what yeah. ways do you think you've grown the most, both on and off the field? On the field, definitely just being more mature and being a leader. I feel like I've always had leadership skills, even in high school. I mean, I'm just, I'm not a follower and I've always used that to my advantage. And I think over the course of time, I've just grown as a person and that made me grow as a player. 
and taught me to be less selfish and more supportive and always have my teammates back before my own. So I'm only grateful for this journey because I feel like I've grown so much as a person and a player. And I mean, off the field, being a college athlete and student athlete is super difficult. I mean, time management, academics, athletics, putting in the extra time off the field and on the field, it's a lot to balance. So I think now I've learned all of that and I know how to be successful in crunch time situations, whether it's with lacrosse or with academics, whatever the case might be, I've learned how to manage everything and make sure that I can fit everything into my schedule that I need to fit in. What memories stand out the most as you look back on your career? Are there any particular games or, or moments that have started to come into focus for you? For me personally, my freshman year, I started on defense my first two games, which I came in here playing midfield. And I had surgery in the fall of my freshman year. So it put me back a little bit. So I started on defense for two games. And our third game of freshman year was an away game against North Carolina. And it was my first game as a midfielder. And I was so excited because midfield is my position. I mean, I love playing on both ends of the field. And I wanted to prove myself. The coaches gave me the opportunity. And I felt like I needed to play the best that I can so I can continue to play midfield or really wherever they needed me. But I felt like I was a true midfielder. And I ended up scoring five goals and we beat them by one, hmm. which was surreal. I mean, I will never forget that day. If you ask anybody who was on the team at the time, nobody will ever forget that. But I mean, you look back on so many games and it's not even just my individual play. It's how our team played together and how we overcame so many obstacles and being down by so many goals. I mean, my freshman year, again, we were down by a lot against Syracuse and won in double overtime. And that's another game that you'll never forget because we just, we came together as a team and we worked so well together and we're so supportive and that's what you need to be successful and to win games. And those are little memories that you look back on and you just, you smile because of how well and great everything went and you did it as a team. We've spent a lot of time talking about lacrosse, but I'm curious when you do have some time away and the time management piece you talked about is going well, what are some things that you enjoy doing? I don't know. <laughs> Honestly, like, I, I actually really don't think I have any hobbies. That's so sad. <laughs> I know. But like, my days consist of lift, practice, school, tutors. And, like, I don't mind it. Like, that's what I signed up for. And that's what I love to do. I love being on a routine. And a lot of my free time is on the field doing stuff on my own to get better. But, of course, I'll have days where I'll maybe read a book or I do a lot of Netflix, but that's honestly just on recovery days when we're exhausted. But now I go to the pool a lot with my teammates. That's, oh my that's God, something. So <laughs> How about this? When you're no longer a college athlete and you do have some free time, what are things you look forward to potentially doing? Okay, that's, that's better. <laughs> I look forward to not being on a schedule and being able to hang out with my family and friends. And um, I'm actually going to grad school for speech pathology. So hmm. I'll be focusing a lot on that and um, kind of just enjoying life without being on such a strict schedule because it does get very demanding and overwhelming sometimes. So it'll be nice to kind of be on my own schedule for once and kind of just take time to relax and enjoy things that I couldn't do, like go to the beach or I don't know, stuff like that. <laughs> 
stuff that people do. I, I really don't know what I'm going to do after graduating. <laughs> you mentioned what's coming up next for you going to grad school, and obviously you're going to try and keep playing lacrosse as well. Um, yep. how, how do you see that balancing going forward? I mean, do you envision being involved long-term in lacrosse, or is this sort of winding it down for you? I already know where I'm going to grad school, to school in Long, Long Island. So I've been in contact with the coach even before I got accepted, kind of just telling her that I'm interested in coaching or helping out or any way to stay involved. So we've been in contact, and um, hopefully that works out. But I just don't see myself completely stopping lacrosse. And, I mean, my end goal is to – work at a school for speech and coach lacrosse. And I mean, like I said before, I am doing the pro league, which is in the summer. So right after I graduate, I'll still be playing lacrosse for a couple months, which is awesome. Couple final things for you. Going back to New York, what are things you're going to miss about being in Florida? And then what are things that you're going to be excited about that you're going to have in New York that you didn't have in Florida? My biggest thing right now is that's really making me upset about leaving is honestly my friends, the people I've met here and the relationships I've made. Luckily, all my friends that are here, they're from the North as well, but it's Maryland and Connecticut and a couple of Long Island. But I mean, it's, it's still tough because you go from living with these people and seeing them every second of the day to a couple of times a month or every other month, whatever it is. I think that's a huge change because my best friends are now here and um, it's definitely a little bit different. And I mean, I love the weather here. It changes my mood when it's beautiful out. Mm. And then I'll call my mom and she's like, it's cold and rainy here. And, you know, there's snow on the ground and I can't get my car out of the driveway. <laughs> so that's something that I'm not going to really look forward to going back home because the weather here and just the campus in general here is so beautiful and inviting. And I'm constantly trying to get outside. I always walk to class. Um, I get outside whenever I can. And um, the food here, like, it's totally different than New York, but there's so many more options. I mean, like, it's actually overwhelming how many food places <laughs> there are in Gainesville. But that's another thing. You just, everything's walking distance. I mean, I walk to class. I walk to the food store. I walk to get coffee. It's just different. And it's a little town and filled with college kids and everyone's on the same page. So I just think the relationships and the town and everything is what I'm going to miss most. Final question for you. As you get ready for the AAC tournament, what goals are you and the team most focused on and how do you get there with the time that you have left? Time is definitely ticking, but I mean, I think throughout our season, we've we've had some tough losses, but at this point, we've been so successful and you can see in practice every day and it, it transfers over to games how much better we've been playing. And honestly, at the end of the day, the focus is on us and we're going to respect every team, every opponent, but the focus is more so on us and what we can do to get better. So I think coming this week, obviously, our goal is to win the tournament and then move forward into the NCAA tournament and see where we get seated and prepare and go from there. Well, we know it's not quite over yet, but congratulations on what's been an incredible career for the entire Pareka family at Florida. Thank you. And uh, thank you so much for spending some time with us. Yeah, of course. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. Head to FloridaGators.com for info on all of this week's action, and make sure you come back next week for an all-new episode. Until then, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you in Gainesville.